Section 22, Chapter 14, Part 1 of The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. The Life and Adventures of Kit Carson by DeWitt C. Peters. Section 22, Chapter 14, Part 1. Kit Carson reaches home, himself and neighbors robbed by the Apaches. Major Greer goes in pursuit of and recaptures the stolen stock. A plot organized by white men to murder two Santa Fe traders for their money. The disclosure. Kit Carson goes to the rescue of the traders. The camp of the United States recruits. Captain Ewell with 20 men join Kit Carson, and they too make the arrest of Fox. Gratitude expressed by the traders. Money offered but refused. The prisoner taken to Taos and incarcerated. Kit Carson receives a magnificent pair of revolvers as a present from the grateful traders. The return of Rayado, a trading expedition to the United States. The return journey, an encounter with the Cheyenne Indians, a state of suspense. The deliverance from danger by a message sent by a Mexican runner. The arrival at Rayado. After finishing the pleasant visit which he was thus enabled to make, while recruiting himself among the good people of Taos, Kit Carson bent his way to his home at Rayado. He safely reached there and had but just dismounted at his own door when he was informed of a recent calamity that had befallen himself and neighbors during his absence. It was the old story, viz., that the Indians had come in and boldly stole all the animals belonging to the settlement. At the time this depredation had been committed, there was a small detachment of United States troops stationed in the place, but the soldiers were too few in number to attempt a rescue of the property from the savages. The latter had visited the little town with a strong force on this occasion. The settlers therefore made application to the commanding officers of the territory, who promptly dispatched Major Greer with a command of dragoons to hunt up the guilty parties and punish them. Thus the Major did, and was so fortunate as to recover nearly all of the stolen stock which he had the satisfaction of returning to its owners. Kit Carson remained through the following summer months at his ranch at Rayado, busying himself in efforts to improve his house and land. In his employment, Kit Carson had several faithful Mexicans. His task was to superintend their labors, which occupied only a part of his time. When anything required it, he lent a hand to assist them. But these men had to be provided with provisions which, to purchase in these distant parts, would have entailed a great item of expense, indeed more than equal to the profits arising from their labor. Therefore, a certain amount of time had to be set apart for hunting, which kind of employment he truly enjoyed. Mounted on a fine horse with his faithful gun and dog, early each day he would start out on the prairies to engage in the chase. In a few hours he would return on foot with his noble hunter loaded down with choice game. Sometimes it would be an antelope or elk. On other occasions it would consist of black-tailed deer, 
which are celebrated as being the largest and the finest species of venison that roam the forest of any country and are only to be found in the rocky mountains on another wild turkeys and then mountain grouse prairie chickens help to complete the load when thus provided for it is no wonder that kit's workmen loved their employment and labored with good will while thus engaged kit carson weathery was always open for indian signs his horses cattle and sheep which he had brought since the last depredation were watched with great vigilance as no one could foretell what the next hour would bring forth in his mountain home kit was often visited by indian friends who came to smoke the pipe of peace with him and enjoy his hospitality when thus surrounded by rival hunters worthy of his steed who had sprung up like the oats of a forest he felt truly happy this happiness was greatly enhanced and augmented by the thrifty appearance of everything that pertained to him he saw himself in the possession of fine lands well watered and well timbered also plenty which was ready for the plough it was almost a farm made to order by the most perfect workmen the soil unsurpassed in riches fertility was a safe and sure depository for his seeds telling him in its silent but unmistakable language of the rich harvest in store for him his stock was the best which heart could wish and last but with him not least he was within a stone's throw of splendid hunting grounds which to his unerring rifle as the reader has already seen proved as safe and assistant as would have been a wall street banker with a large credit side to his account we have here a picture of kit carson enjoying the rewards of a home congenial to his taste and knowledge of life while around him are gathered the objects which his mainly soul has learned to love and live for the painting is one which we find beautiful to the sight and which is rich in its lessons of life but these deductions must be left for the sensitive and honest-hearted imagination to draw it is not fitting to add them to these pages however truthful they may be until the last sad rites which are measured out to all shall have been performed for the brave man of whom we write and his noble soul shall have winged its flight to the happier hunting grounds of eternity the duties of farming and hunting were only once interrupted during the summer which kit carson thus enjoyed with his family the exploit which called him on this occasion from his home was caused by an effort to save the lives of two well-known traders to accomplish this he assumed the character and duties of a de of a detective police officer the circumstances of the case were as follows an american by the name of fox had organized a party to accompany as a guard over the plains and while professedly engaged in this duty to murder messrs brevort and weatherhead two gentlemen who were travelling into the united states as the rascal and party supposed with a large sum of money which they expected to expend in the purchase of goods to be used for trading purposes fox played his part so well that when he offered himself and men as an escort the offer was accepted by the intended and unsuspicious victims as if it had been a mark of particular favor 
Before the route was entered upon, Fox visited Taos for the purpose of enlisting among his band of desperadoes, a fellow who resided in that town. He was a person who bore approving, true as wicked and confident. He waited until he thought his friend Fox was sufficiently advanced on the road to accomplish his hellish purposes without any chance of his being overtaken and arrested. He then saw fit to divulge the plot. Every new country is the favorite place of resort for desperadoes and rascals of all grades who cannot live in their native district on account of their many crimes. Until the machinery of law and order begins to work smoothly, these fellows in their new homes have everything their own way unless they go to too great excesses. When their neighbors will rise for their own protection and treat them with summary and severe punishment, often by thus making an example of a few large numbers are prevented from doing further mischief. In the early history of nearly every one of our western territories, escaped convicts, murderers, thieves, and the worst sort of humanity, mingled in with good men, have commenced their nefarious practices on a grand scale. These things have brought such sections of our country into bad repute abroad. It needs but time for communities to ferret these human monsters out and visit upon them a just retribution. The inland position of New Mexico and the consequent difficulty of intercourse with the general government of the United States made it an inviting place from time to time for men of this stamp to visit. But as they have met on most occasions with a reception from the friends of order, not in the least suited to their taste, they have almost ceased their coming, thereby showing what a few resolute men can accomplish at the commencement of such trouble. The reforming work of mitigating the evil, which is sure to result among a mixed population under the best regulation, is slowly progressing, and the day is not far distant when New Mexico in this respect will compare favorably with her sister and older territories. The report of this diabolical plot accidentally came to the ears of an officer in the army who chanced to be in Taos at the time. This gentleman was one of the first to hear of it and at once sought Kit Carson. But instead of directly telling him what he had just heard, from some strange reason of his own, he demanded of Kit whether he would be willing to pursue an apprentice fox for death. To this proposition, Kit Carson replied in the negative. On hearing Kit's indignant refusal to be employed in such a menial undertaking, the officer concluded to lay the true state of the case before him, who, he naturally enough thought, could, above all others in that territory, devise some plan that would result in rescuing Brevort and Weatherhood from their impending fate. Here it may be proper for us to add that the officer who had thus indiscreetly acted must have had previously a very slight acquaintance with Kid Carson, or he would not have selected him as a man ready and anxious for any dirty job which might offer, as it is entirely foreign to his true character. Kit Carson, on being apprised of the facts, became interested 
took the management of the affair for the most part into his own hands and on investigating it more thoroughly he came to the conclusion that fox and his companions contemplated committing the crime on the cimarron river this river is nearly east from taos and the point at which carson anticipated overhauling the party was between two and three hundred miles distance at this time the mountain indians were unusually hostile but kit carson was always well informed of their movements as much so as it was in the power of anyone to be with the little command under him he was willing were so weighty a matter as saving the lives of two of his countrymen demanded his services to march anywhere even if he had to contest his way one hour was sufficient time for him to make ready for the undertaker but not so with the soldiers they had to put their horses and themselves in trim for it might be severe and taxing duty the route taken by the party was a trail which leads directly to rayado and on which just before reaching the last named place there are many curious piles of stones which are scattered over the side of a mountain and have formed a puzzle to many an inquiring mind by some they are supposed to be indian graves but by others they are thought to have been made as a sort of landmark by the older inhabitants of the plains when they started into new mexico on some marauding incursion these latter persons believe that the indians were were unacquainted with the country they were invading and had left these marks to insist them in making their way out again most likely the first hypothesis is true and that the stones were thus heaped up to protect the corpses from being devoured by the wolves on quitting rialdo kit carson struck out on the open prairie by making an expeditious march kit carson felt that the traders could yet be saved his party consisted of ten picked men of the dragoons and it was splendidly mounted on horses furnished him to assist in the undertaking the pace which kit commanded and required was one which would try the nerves and courage of most good horsemen onward over the level prairie the party galloped every man feeling proud of the guide whose spirit they caught and imitated the second night out from taos they came upon the camp of a detachment of united states recruits who were under the command of captain ewell and who were bound for new mexico where they were to reinforce the regiments in the army which were stationed in that territory it is customary to send out each year detachments of recruits to the different departments of the west these men are enlisted and collected at the depots within the states and whenever a sufficient force is collected to fill up their requisitions they are dispatched at the proper seasons to their respective regiments those intended for new mexico set out during the summer months they are rarely sent at the same time or as the same commander men these recruits are a hard set to manage especially when traveling through the states where they are exposed to temptation on arriving at the commencement of their hardships on the plains it's usually found that many have deserted and also that many might have done so with the benefit to the government military service with recruits and the same with old soldiers are two different things with the former 
officers are obliged to command threatened and punished to accomplish in one day what the latter would perform without much trouble in half the time recruits know little or nothing about marching or camp duty and in taking care of them an officer has his hands full even the most minute items have to be looked to for example they are men rarely used to firearms being for the most part foreigners by birth and are just as apt to load a gun with the ball of the cartridge first down as with the powder old soldiers look upon these newcomers as verdant in the extreme and the pranks they often play upon them are very humorous with patient discipline they become serviceable men and are an honor to the standard which they carry and what appears to be the strangest fact of all frequently the poorest looking recruit may make the best soldier this is a fair picture of the men captain ewell was commanding kit carson at once informed the captain of the duty he was on when that distinguished officer generously determined to assist in putting a damper on the wicked designs of the wretches taking with him twenty men captain ewell joined kit carson and together they proceeded in the pursuit by using every precaution in their power and forcing their marches they entered upon the camp of the traders and arrested fox before he had time even to suspect the business upon which the party had come after fox was secure messrs weatherhead and brevoort were informed of the dangers through which they had passed these gentlemen at first were astounded but they soon became assured of the truth of what they heard they then selected fifteen men who they knew to be innocent and ordered the remainder of their escort numbering thirty-five souls to leave the camp instanter which command was promptly obeyed to kit carson they offered any sum of money that was in their power to bestow in return for the invaluable service he had rendered them kit carson replied that it was reward sufficient for him to have been instrumental in saving the lives of two worthy citizens and that he could not think of receiving one cent of money a long colloquy was held that night around a good campfire that was freely fed with buffalo chips buffalo chips form the principal fuel of the plains it is a dry buffalo manure at midnight most of the parties were asleep and nothing could could then be heard except the barking of wolves and the heavy tread of the guard as they walked to and fro on their respective beats on the first appearance of daylight all hands were up and preparing to strike their tents soon after the party separated but before doing so the traders again expressed their thanks and then resumed their journey fox was first taken to captain ewell's camp then he was turned over to kid carson who conveyed him to taos where he was imprisoned for some time but was finally released as nothing positive could be proved against him chiefly because he had committed no overt act but had only thus far engaged in plotting the double murder and robbery this is always a difficult time to establish in this instance the difficulty was greatly scattered and left for parts unknown he was finally set at liberty at that day the keeping of a prisoner in close confinement in new mexico or of having him continually under the surveillance 
of the military was no ordinary or easy matter. The only places which could be converted into jails were the common adobe houses of the inhabitants. From these, a wide-awake and determined prisoner with the free use of his hands and the assistance of the smallest kind of a tool as a jackknife or a pair of scissors could dig out of his dungeon in five or six hours. The large majority of the criminals who were thus incarcerated managed to effect their escape. In the case of Fox, however, he had a man to deal with who was seldom thwarted in any of his undertakings. With so much convicting evidence of his wicked intentions, and with so much trouble to bring him to trial, it was greatly regretted that he did not receive a suitable punishment. As soon as he was set free, Fox made his way out of the country, but his further history is not known. The general impression left upon the minds of the people who are familiar with the minutiae of this affair was that Fox was guilty, as he was known to be a finished villain. It was universally believed that, after murdering and plundering the two traitors, he intended to grasp the lion's share and with his portion to proceed to Texas, where, as he was there entirely unknown, he hoped to enjoy the rewards of his rascality. This valuable service rendered to Messrs. Bevert and Weatherhead was most gracefully and handfully rewarded by them. In the course of the following spring, they presented Kit with a pair of magnificent revolvers. Upon the silver mounting, there was engraved a very few but expressive words indicating the obligations which the donors considered themselves laboring under towards their deliverer. Such a testimonial to an unselfish heart like that, which beats in the breast of Kit Carson, is a prize of greater value than any more substantial gift which money could purchase. These beautiful weapons Kit Carson prizes very highly, and the donors may have learned the fact that, in the hands of their owner, they have since been duly initiated into active service and found to perform their necessary duties most admirably. After the task of the arrest of Fox was thus successfully undertaken and consummated, by his being securely lodged in jail and placed under suitable guard, Kit Carson returned to Rialto, where he spent the winter in a very quiet manner. We use the term quiet manner. It should be qualified with the phrase quiet manner for him. He found plenty of employment in looking after his animals, besides spending a large share of his time in hunting. This, however, Although always attended with paying practical results, he did as much for pleasure as from necessity. He always found a large number of hungry mouths ready to relieve him from any superabundance of game. And as his hospitality to all classes is unbounded, he took a special delight in feeding and liberally bestowing his bounties upon his poor Mexican neighbors, to whom powder and lead were more of a desideratum than to himself, and with whom his experience and skill as a hunter were a source of support which they could only wish for. Early the next summer, Kit Carson, in charge of a train of wagons belonging to himself and his friend Maxwell, set out for the United States. 
After an unusually pleasant journey, they reached the Missouri River and proceeded down it in a steamboat to St. Louis. Here he purchased a large stock of goods. With this freight, he returned to Kansas, where he had left his caravan, into which, on his arrival, he transferred his merchandise. He then started on his return trip to New Mexico. In order that his animals might take advantage of the fine grass to be found there, he chose the route known to all traders on the plains, as well as to the reader, as the road by Bent's Fort. He was progressing on his journey quite happily, when unfortunately at a point that is located about 15 miles above the fording of the Arkansas, he fell in with a village of Cheyenne Indians who were just at that time violently hostile towards the whites and were waiting an opportunity to wreak their vengeance on them. This state of feeling had been brought about only a few days previous and was due to an officer who was attached to a command of recruits that some days before Kit Carson's arrival had passed by. He had flogged the warrior for some liberty which the fellow had taken while he was in camp of the soldiers. These Cheyennes are very fond of dress and show, but as a body they are as noble and athletic-looking as tread on this earth. Singularly, though the contrast may appear, a greater set of rascals never went unhung. Yet they are Indians, and as such they ought to command sympathy and forbearance. The young man who belong to the Cheyenne Nation, are fond of dress, and when arrayed in full costume, one of them is a picture to look upon. When thus gilded, no man could be prouder. These Indians wear their hair in a long queue a la Chinese style. They take great pleasure in ornamenting this queue with innumerable pieces of silver, which are made from half-dollar pieces and are beat out in the shape of a small shields with their blue or red blankets, long ribbons of different colored flannel, fancy leggings and bead decorations, and finally, as I once saw one, with a red cotton umbrella, they represent the very Paris tip of Indian fashion. Their squaws do not possess as regular and fine of features as the men, but this may be said to be true of the most of the wild tribes of savages in North America for it requires an enormous stretch of the imagination to call them handsome. While many of the men are fine-looking, hard work spoils the beauty of the Indian women. To admire an Indian woman, one must seclude himself from the society of other females. Under such circumstance, it may be that a person might be inclined to change his opinion and think the race lovely. The lazy brave considers it beneath his station to work. Therefore, all camp labor and the packing, saddling, and looking after the ponies devolves upon the squaw. When there is a scanty supply of horses, she is obliged to give her lord the preference in taking his ease and go herself on foot and carry her papoose. In fact, it is lowering to the Indian's pride to do else than hunt and fight. Owing to the scarcity of timber on the western prairies, the Indians transport their lodge poles from camp to camp. This is done by attaching them to the side of a pack animal while the free ends drag on the ground. And in time of war, this constitutes one of the signs of the trail by which to follow when in pursuit of them. 
the reason why the commanding officer of this party of recruits inflicted the summary punishment referred to is not known to the writer but it surely does appear as if the person who ordered its execution or perhaps courageously performed it himself might have reflected that a savage least of all men allows a supposed injury done to him or his tribe to pass by unavenged and also that it is a matter of perfect indifference to him as to who the victim is if he only gets the chance to strike a blow on the same nation this revenge will quench his cruel thirst for blood quite as effectively as if he had the satisfaction of scalping the perpetuator of his real or supposed injury it is a fact alas too frequently true that the parties who are strong in numbers courage and equipment while crossing the plains are prone to treat in an overbearing and insolent manner the bands of indians with whom they chance to come into contact for these insults and injuries weaker parties who travel upon the same road are held to a strict and revengeful account by being made to suffer even with their lives as well as effects kit carson and his small force unfortunately or rather fortunately so far as kit himself was concerned for no man could be better fitted to deal with such a crisis of trouble than he were the first white men who came along after the flogging of their warrior had wrought upon the temper of the cheyenne nation to a degree which nearly bordered on frenzy as soon as the whites were discovered the indians went into council evidently to decide on the best mode of attacking and making away with them kit carson though he did not know that this tribe had declared war and much less their reasons for doing so when he first saw them was not long in coming to a conclusion from their actions that there was a screw loose somewhere he therefore began to act with more than usual sagacity and caution he ordered his men to keep their wagons close together to have their rifles in good trim and be ready for an instant fight in this manner with every man on watch he pushed on for a distance of twenty miles although he had left the indians far beyond he did not relax his vigilance being still impressed with the belief that a storm was brewing his surmises began to be verified soon after for the indians in parties of two three and four appeared in sight arrayed and painted in their full war costume having approached some of them to within a distance sufficiently near so to do kit carson commenced talking to them in a conciliatory manner they were inclined to heed his words and in order to make it appear that he was not intimidated by their actions he went into camp invited these advanced parties of the indians to come in and have a talk and smoke with him the savages accepted the invitation and were soon seated in a circle after the pipe had passed from one to the other until all present had had a puff or two from it they began to talk loud among themselves End of section 22, chapter 14, part 1.